Welcome to the Radical Brilliance Podcast with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Alex Ebert, who's going to talk to us about creation from nothing. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda. Hey, welcome back to the Radical Brilliance podcast. Today's guest once again is Alex Ebert, who's been on this podcast twice already. Uh, incredible man. He's the founder and lead singer of Edward Sharp the Magnetic Zeros, as well as a musician in his own right. He's recently made an incredible movie, the most amazing movie I've ever seen. And he's written an amazing book uh, about cool, about what it means to, to be beyond, beyond the cool, which was the topic of our last exchange. So we talk quite a bit in this podcast about the movie. The amazing thing about Alex is whatever he does, he seeks to do it in a new and innovative way, which is really what Radical Brilliance is about. He seeks to make movies in a way different than movies have been made before. He seeks to write books in a different way than books have been written before. So everything he does is somehow fresh. And, you know, with, with, um, with the band, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, everybody had trouble putting them in the right compartment because uh, is this indie? Is this this? Is this this? It was hard to know exactly what kind of music it was. So... Enjoy. Uh, we're going to talk a, a little bit about this movie, and, and uh, we'll have to see if the movie is, or, is, is out already uh, by the time this publishes. But um, it is an incredible film, and you'll, you'll find out a little bit more in the podcast about why, what makes this such an unusual film. So enjoy the podcast today. Hey Alex, thank you for taking time with me. Um, I had the amazing experience last night of watching, I guess not Final Cut, but watching a fairly, fairly close to Final Cut of, yeah. your, of your film, yeah. which is called Person A. Mm -hmm. And whoa, <laughs> whoa, um, whoa, yeah, I mean it was, what can I say? It was like it was certainly doing something with cinema that I don't I can't think of anything mm. you know and it's a funny thing because when when people used to write reviews and stuff of Edward Sharp the Magnetic Zeros they could never find the right pigeonhole to put it in and now you've made a movie where I think the same thing is going to be true like what kind of movie is that you mm. know it's kind of documentary but it's like whoa so um so yeah, it's 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 about it's it's you making a film about you, but it's also not exactly about you. It's about a lot of things that that are feel like you're just the the leaping point. Yeah, I think in in general is the the thread, uh, the constant sort of presence in life is death, mm. um, the existential death, the immediate. And palpable deaths of uh, this conversation of the day, this, the the night, um, the relationship, um, and then the body, and um, that 
transience, that uh, sort of transient nature of life, where it sort of comes and then goes, is sort of what... Is, is, I wouldn't say that it's the... I would say that it's singularly responsible for the poetic moment, in that hmm. our sense that a moment is going to vanish right. heightens our awareness and appreciation for a, se- for, for a moment right. above and beyond the experiential uh, context of that moment. So that you, exactly. you end up having this sort of meta-awareness of how... It's sort of a, a sense of gratitude for the moment yeah. that equates to extreme moments of witnessing extreme beauty or uh, a beautiful moment with a, a lover or whatever it is um, and having that experience where you're like wow this is life is amazing this is mm. beautiful okay and I realize this is going to go and it's immediately you know a combination of like saccharine and solemn and all of these sort of like things in one container which which basically are uh the fundamental things we use to for art, you know, is to make people feel again a little bit more than they would have otherwise, access their their feelings and whatnot. So, um, I think death plays a, a massive role hmm. in 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 that apparatus. Um, and um, so, for me, um, as soon as I found out I was going to die uh, when I was about five, I realized my mortality and all that. Was I that went, when you had that jeep accident? No, that was at, the Jeep accident was after. Right. Now, when I realized I was going to die, I was about five. The Jeep accident was when I was eight. Mm. But um, it was this amazing... I remember the moment, like, crystal clear, and asking, walking up to my dad. He had this big blue chair and asking me if it was true that I was going to die. And he was, like, doing his taxes or something. And he, like, looked back. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and then so I was like, okay. And so I walked back, and I kept drawing. And uh, my life was forever changed all of a sudden the lens I saw everything through was this this lens where everything I was watching was going to uh, you know experience entropy and um, and that changed everything for me and I had this deeper sadness deeper appreciation um, deeper everything after that moment and so to me that's not often discussed in the context of like what drives art what creates the artful moment the the poetic moment for anyone or witness um and i think when what creates that appreciation i mean in a lot of ways what creates appreciation at all Mm. um you know is the sense that that thing whatever you're appreciating could not be there yeah um which is again the same principle so yeah yeah i actually interviewed um i spoke to uh Liz Murray, you know Liz Murray. She 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 was uh, she was the subject of this film, Homeless to Harvard. I think it may be a book too. Mm, yeah. And uh, she went through this incredible, excruciating circumstance of her early life, and uh, which you know, I mean, just both her parents were heroin addicts, died of AIDS when she was very you know an early teenager. Just she was on the streets and and trying to go to high school, but nobody there for her, and. Um, and at some point, somebody, like a, another kid on the streets, just said to her, gratitude is simply the awareness that what you've got, you could equally not have. And that just flipped her into, she had, like, basically had nothing. But then just the little thing, like, she actually had a backpack. Right. Like, like accentuated the realization, I could equally not have the backpack. So yeah. while everybody else had more than her, she started to focus on little things she had. 
he's actually turned her into like a major advocate for homelessness mm. and you know but not only for alleviating the conditions of homelessness but actually teaching homeless people to not take it as such a bummer mm. you know to actually focus on what they've got right yeah yeah i think that subject is really ripe for you know all kinds of discussion and it's hard you know it's hard to pinpoint what creates an, the the artistic moment for any any anybody mm. but um or the poetic moment for anyone but that sense of feeling or the hair on the you know mm. and that sense of sort of elevation um and then that sense of appreciation that it might that that what you're experiencing is special and unique in your life and it may not repeat itself yeah the the magic moment uh that the, and the various magic Slipping moments we look fingers. to that sort of create the little tent poles when we look back at the topography of our life yeah. and everything else disappears into the valleys mm. and we have these these tent pole moments of like you know those poetic moments that defined um our experience here yeah yeah so anyway so and then a lot of people in the band like a lot a lot of i started making it because of six of our parents um three of them died and then the another three were in the hospital and nearly died um including your mother right yeah including my mom mm. um and my dad mm-hmm. um during the course of making our most recent album the most the recent edward sharp album yeah yeah and um but it was in immediate succession. It was like month, month, two months later. Another, mm. And we're still, mm. I'm still doing the same album. Mm. So it started to really affect that, and I started documenting it. Um, and then I realized that you know my whole life could be told through the lens of this this approach. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty fun. And then really hyper cathartic because yeah. narrating it, putting it together is one thing, but narrating it <clears throat> is um, intense because you have to speak. Your, whatever truth was happening right and when you speak it you realize oh and then <laughs> and then she died <clears throat> <laughs> and then she died mm. and then she died what is my fucking truth in this narration is it and then she died or is it and then she died how do I fucking feel about this what's the truth because that's the only thing that's going to fly for the audience yeah, yeah. and so having to reiterate and re-say and like like, yeah. like a mantra yeah. saying these things that happen to you until it feels like it hits mm. it's therapeutic it's really cool if you're enjoying this podcast with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest you might also enjoy our 8 week online group coaching program It's an opportunity to go deep and get stable in practices that enhance your own brilliance. We only take 20 participants at a time, so in a small and intimate group, you can go through the whole Radical Brilliance cycle. You'll have an accountability partner in another brilliant aspirant from somewhere around the world. The eight-week coaching program involves eight one-hour webinars with Arjuna Arda and a group of other Radical Brilliance coaches. You'll also receive one 30-minute coaching session with your own personal coach every week and one 90-minute coaching session with Arjuna himself. It's the ideal opportunity to drop 
deep into yourself, into the source of your own creativity, and to get support for an entire eight weeks of mining your own radical brilliance and bringing it forth into a project or creation that can truly serve the future of humanity. Find out more at RadicalBrilliance.com and click on the Programs tab. I feel like it's actually a good, really good moment to you talking about that to segue into this app you've created, which you just mm. invited me to like two days ago. And it's, yeah, it's like actually awesome. Let's just describe that. Can I, can I describe sure. my experience of it? Yeah, yeah. It's called Tuners. I just got the latest version, I guess, by the time you're listening to this. Dear friends, it's going to be in some other version, but... The idea is that people are interacting like in social media, but it's all done through the spoken word, which actually mm. makes it very different. Because instead of little, you know, gifts and hearts and things, well, I guess you do have a heart, one possibility of heart, but mostly you're responding to people's spoken. And it's completely different. One thing I noticed is people are way nicer. Uh, a lot of social media people are like, God, you know, like, or, or, or just blatantly attacking each other, which they would never do in person, right? Uh, and, but also, I realize that people take the time, for some reason, to be way more poetic and meaningful and deep. I don't know if it just happens to be your members. but No, people... no, because in, in, in the audio form, the rhetorics available to you for armor are not as easily applied. So, like, inflecting irony mm. in your voice is a lot more sort of like see-through and transparent than it is in the wild array of potential ironic imagery that we can associate with like, you know, um, any posts on, on Instagram or anything. Or the, the other, and, you know, an irony is in armor, uh, sarcasm, all these things where it's like, this is what I'm saying, but I'm also, I have my out because it's ironic. You know, like, mm -hmm. Or this is what I'm doing, but it's not fully earnest. Mm -hmm. I have my out. Mm. Um, or I'm self like self depreciating myself so that you can't depreciate me before mm. you know you are mm. I'm already depreciated like oh, that's nothing to see take here. On that. I hadn't thought about um, that. <laughs> and uh, and I think that all those things when you bring them into the audio form all of a sudden they're really like transparent. So you have this weird thing where people are really hesitant to speak uh, at first and are inclined once they do speak because that's such an intimate first step hmm. to like, it's almost like the first speech to your, your first public speech. Public speaking is really like a, a serious fear for a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. something about the voice. Mm -hmm. And once you break that thing though, that, that sort of crucible of like getting through that really intimate moment gives you a sort of reverence for the process of having like, for that crucible, it's like, wow, I really had fear getting there. And so I respect everyone else's fear of it. Yeah. And, and I also respect my fear of it and want somehow to communicate. Um, th this space just opens up in this. You just realize that the only way this is going to work is if everyone's basically supportive. Yeah. Not, not supportive oh, of your cool. content, yeah. but supportive in the sense that, like, this is a safe place to be personal. This is a safe place to be vulnerable. Yeah. Not that you won't get reamed across the coals if you say some weird shit that like is really cruel or something like that, or you're talking about something awful, which we haven't had one instance of. You ever. haven't had to delete any. Not yet. Yeah. Literally not yet. We have, but we've made an anonymous mode, 
so I'm anticipating, like I, I almost like you know, I think anonymous audio is really sort of a beautiful idea too, and you'll still hear the person's voice. So you still hear their voice, but we also have a vocoder thing that we're working. Oh, in. really? Okay. Um, and it's yeah. just a to, just a tool to like, <laughs> it's just a tool to play with. But like I think that I think the voice is so. So intimate, you hear your creaks, and when it's a cappella and there's no singing, there's no... I mean, the scariest performance I ever did in my life was an a cappella that I got challenged to as a dare uh, when I was walking down the street in Hollywood, and there was this cafe, and there was an open mic. And my friend's like, go do, I dare you to go do an open mic. No band, just a cappella, sing something. And so I did this rendition of this I'm a Robot song called Song Number One, which has these giant gaps in between. Mm. And I got up and I was like... Freeze. Oh, I know like that it, song. Yeah. Like it's a disease. And it was so fucking fun and liberating to do this really right. out, out fucked up sort of thing. But it was much more, uh, much scarier than having a band and all this stuff that can just like take away from, you know, like, like make it pretty and whatnot. And you're just speaking your voice and it's there and it's naked and raw for some yeah. reason. So we're actually afraid of the gaps. Where, like if like if you and I, I mean this is going to work. It's going to work very well on podcasts. It's an audio format. But if you and I were to actually stop speaking, but actually stay connected, I suspect that would become more real and more scary, right? Than the noise. Yeah. Yeah. If we if we so it's almost like the words fill in the gaps. True. And in the gaps, something yeah. deeper can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Usually that's true, and then and then sometimes you, you hit upon a, a sentence, like I'll read a sentence uh, of something and just be like, taken there as I'm reading it, you yeah. know, just like, wow, right. or, right. or during a performance. Yeah. So there's there's that whole thing, but I think that you're right in a lot of ways where human to human, the most sort of like, as soon as you start speaking or or doing those actions are coming through, being refracted through your lens, your personality. It's your thing. But when you're not doing those things and you're just there, the only things I can tell from you are essentially what, you, you know, your facial features and your eyeballs and basic stuff that it really isn't as much to do with, like, a put-on of any variety. It's just what we're born with. Mm. So we all, we, we don't put too much thought into that. And all of a sudden we're just sitting there and our humanity is there because you don't have these different, you're not exposing and prancing about all these differentiating qualities you have about who you are and what your refracting lens is, what your point of view is. I'm not hearing any of that. So you aren't individuating from me with all of those tools. Without those differentiating um, efforts, you know, with, I mean, it's, and then even better, of course, if we're all in like, you know, white robes and we're, I mean, you know, this is the reason for a lot of those initiating, those initiatives, or initiatives, those initiations of like, you know, um, whatever, cults, uh, religions, uh, work, work dress code, um, all these things like to, to keep some differentiating out of the picture so that you can, yeah. you know, correlate uh, easier. Um, and, then, and then you have, you know, yeah, breaking it down to just silence. And I think silence for, for all of us in Western culture is like a rare fucking commodity. Oh, for sure. Um, the negative space. Actually, it's funny you said that. So I, I'm working on this screenplay idea that I haven't started writing yet called Negative Space, in which basically the, the commodity, the rare co commodity of the future is going to be negative space. 
the only thing that the, the only people that will be able to have nothing are the rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this fun inversion. Okay, you know? okay interesting. Well, um, it's kind of a little bit like that, actually. Money does buy you the capacity to do nothing on a Sunday, for example. Well, it also buys you, for instance, like um, a digital detox. Or yeah. I was trying to rent a place in Ojai, and the, the, the first top feature was internet free. <laughs> right. Not free internet, uh-huh. but internet free. And it was yeah. a really expensive place, and yeah. that was one of the, the features. Right. Our cows and food, the stuff that doesn't have all the stuff in it, you pay a premium for. Yeah. The stuff that doesn't sure. have all the science. Yeah. So then, you, you know, and, and then, and then negative right. space to be able to not be on the grid. Yeah. It's going to be like a luxury. Yes, for sure. And, um, yeah, it's funny to think about. You know, just looping back, you were talking about the fear and nervousness or the or the need to redo that you experience with narrating the film and then also that we experience on Tuners. But I noticed a funny thing. Like, I, I did a Tuners uh, recording this morning and I then I erased it because I realized, yeah, I got all the words in, but the inflection wasn't right. Mm-hmm. But then I realized when I talk to you, I don't do that. Mm. Right, I don't go. Oh, the inflection was wrong. I mean, like the inflection seems to be just fine when I'm connecting with somebody. Mm-hmm. It's a it's problematic when there's not somebody there. So what's that about? Well, I think that that's. I think we're chameleons basically, and we adjust to each other, and we have repartees, and and we do these things, and suddenly we're not one, we're two. Mm-hmm. So I'm not necessarily thinking about how. Like if we were to have an audience, which we do, maybe once in a while, and maybe this is going on in your head, like how are we doing? Mm-hmm. It's not how am I doing, how am I speaking, but how are we speaking? Mm-hmm. Is this working? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, but then when it's just you, it's like, how am I doing? Mm-hmm. How am I doing? Mm-hmm. And it becomes this bottomless pit of analysis. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it's fun to um, lend credence, though, to our, our sense of, like, things that aren't true or that the inflection wasn't right, even though those are superficialities. Mm-hmm. The superficial is the language of the profound. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I very reluctantly finally had to come to that conclusion that superficiality and the, the superficial are expressions of whatever's underneath or whatever intention manifested those things. So if an inflection isn't quite right, it's not right, not simply because we've been schooled to think it's not right, but because like minor chords give you a certain feeling. <laughs> like a kid who's like nothing could be like, what's what's scary? That chord is scary. What's a happy chord? That chord is happy. Mm. And you can probably see that all this end up being borne out in um, cymatics and all the, you know, where you, these sound experiments where you run these different keys through um, these filters and see how these mandalas are created. Oh, right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. How, how art, visual art is actually, can can cross over into music and back again yeah. yeah well the earth hums at b flat you know <laughs> b flat major or whatever so yeah. um you know maybe you want to be in sync with that and it's also a few cents tuned down from a440 which is the typical piano is now at okay. which is a bit sharp um so yeah As you're listening to this conversation with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might feel inspired to go deeper into your own expression of radical brilliance. Come join us for a one-week Radical Brilliance Laboratory held in a beautiful rural location in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. 
During the laboratory, you'll have an opportunity to dive deeply into all four quadrants of the Brilliant Cycle. This means you'll be able to explore experiences of consciousness without boundaries. And you'll be able to start accessing original impulses of creativity from within yourself that can become your unique contribution to the world. You can get in touch with your own learning and integrate mistakes that will allow you to mature and grow. You'll have the chance to deeply mine your own resources as well as connect with other brilliant people in a small, intimate context for a week. You can check out the Radical Brilliance Laboratories at RadicalBrilliance.com under the Events tab. Let's loop back to what motivated your film, because you were talking about this imminence of death and this kind of extremely fragile transitory nature, which used to be like of people like your grandma is going to die. But now there's a generation growing up where we are all on that. We are we we are like we don't know if the collective dance is 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 sustainable anymore, mm -hmm. right? And I, I didn't. I mean, I grew up a little bit with that because of the bomb, you know, like mm -hmm. ban the bomb and everything. They always had this kind of doomsday clock. Mm -hmm. But I think for people coming of age now, like around twenty, it's it's like it's not so much are we going to die? It's more like are we going to make it? You know, it's it's uh, it's it looks more likely that we're not going to make it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that we have this um, impending confrontation with like mass death uh, via the the planet's uh, changing temperature. You know. So that's a different. That's another piece that I got from your film. Is so. So one thing is like staying. Like in, in they talk about this in Buddhism. Like staying really aware of the transitory, impermanent nature of anything makes you appreciate it more and be more alive and more present. But there's another thing we talked about last night, that, that burger place, was the beginnings of punk, mm -hmm. which is actually a kind of um, an a, a fascination with death, which is not so much to appreciate more, but a kind of, re it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a re it's a rebellious statement that however powerless you feel, your power to, your power to inflict death on yourself is all, it, that's, that's, a right that can be never, that's a power can be never taken away from you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a time immemorial sort of uh, ultimate protest, self-immolation and uh, uh, Harry Carey. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, um, that symbolic self-destructive protest uh, is a thing. And I think that we started to experience that. I, th I think punk rock is a, a manifestation of that uh, because of the bomb, Bay of Pigs, essentially. Um, and then the the proceeding, um, you know, bomb scare. I, in the '90s, I was I, I was terrified of the bomb. I would have nightmares about the bomb because you mm. still had that, mm. still inculcated with that, you know, that vibe. Late '80s, um, and yeah, I mean, I think what happened essentially is you have, um, and if you look at the graph, starting in about 1964, crime and drug addiction <clears throat> start skyrocketing. 
And there's a whole bunch of other contributing factors, of course. But I think that one of the factors that's much overlooked is the fact that we suddenly had a very palpable existential crisis um, constantly with us. So very similar to how ancient societies were always in sort of a sort of tenuous dance with death, suddenly we were again. And we had all these comforts and cars and houses, but impending death could happen at any fucking moment, like a lion jumping out of the... So what did those old societies do? They had these death rituals, where you go on a walkabout, you do a vision quest, you mm. get right with death so that you can mm. fucking live. Mm. But we had dropped all those initiations off because we were so chasing comforts. But suddenly now, whatever comforts we have couldn't obviate this impending, you know existential fucking dilemma where you have this fucking bomb that mm. could just wipe everything out and cause a nuclear winter even if it doesn't hit your city and because we didn't have any established uh, protocol for that um, we made it ourselves and so by we but like you know so punk rock um, and also I think the rise of sort of like extreme sort of glorified um, violence to one another in your own in your own city i.e. like you know um, just self-destructive behavior, Murder. drug use, yeah. all that shit. Yeah. Other, tons of other contributing factors, but I think one that's not looked at is this existential crisis that pushed us into a, essentially death rituals. So you made art out of that. And I, know, I know of a couple of occasions, and maybe there's more. One was, I don't know what that was, where you were standing on a, mm -hmm. a pile of books. Mm -hmm. That, that looked, seemed to be like a, an art exhibit, right? It was, yeah. Which was pretty extreme, because, I mean, if you had actually... Because you, you had to kind of hold on to... to you, you looked like you were constantly keeping your balance. Yes. If you had lost your balance, would you have hung yourself? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I had my hands free, so I would have uh, been able to... You know, hopefully my neck wouldn't have snapped in the fall, yeah. and then I'd be able to yank myself up. But if things but it had was gone extreme danger, right? Yeah, extreme yeah. danger, a high yeah. level of danger. <laughs> yeah, and you had a. I mean, maybe you could just give us a little comment. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was standing on a on sort of the the quote unquote foundational books of um, of Western culture. Yeah. Starting with the dictionary, and going and, all and up and Ken Wilber and Ken Wilber and going all the way up to. Um, the last book I was standing on, which was under my feet, which you can't see, is In Defense of Elitism. Mm -hmm. um, mm. and, uh, and then a wad of cash in my mouth. It was 700 bucks. Mm -hmm. um, in ones? In, in ones with a, like 100 wrapped around it. Yeah. Uh, stuffing my mouth. And, uh, and, then just, and then the noose around my neck that was connected to, um, to the ceiling. Um, and balancing on those books. So a stack of about 14 books. Mm. Um, very wobbly books uh, for five hours. You did it for five hours? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Really? Yeah, straight. Intense. Yeah. You were sweating a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> My legs almost didn't function for like four hours after that Jeez. exhibit. Yeah, it was really bad to stand in one position like that Whoa. for that long. So, you know, for the... Um, for those of us with an inability to feel who need everything spelled out, like, what was going on? What's... What... what what? I mean, so so to be honest, you know, for that wasn't some giant um, planned out exhibition. I had a uh, an art gallery above this uh, transmission shop with my friend John Davis, and we had some cool shows. And we had a show we were putting together, and I had done some performative art, but uh, we had a show we were putting together that I wasn't going to be a part of. I had some, I had a couple paintings in it, um, but at the last minute, 
I suddenly got this fucking idea. Mm. And it was the image. And a lot of times the football that I throw ahead of myself is the art itself. And be like, fuck it, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't even know why. I don't know what this means yet. Mm. But I know it means something. Yeah. And so I do it. And then you figure out the meaning later or got whatever it, it is. Yeah. Got it. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, essentially that, that was my own death initiation I realized later. Mm. As I was doing my own death initiations. Um, witnessed by a lot of people yeah witnessed by a lot of people um, which in some ways prevented me from um, getting rid of the most important thing in a death initiation which is the sort of not the relief and not the sort of differential between you and others and sort of the individualism but rather the um, the ability to commune with the universe yeah which is um which which really that that space between you and the universe holds the the mysteries and and has to be sort of where you're focused in order to really land on a uh on a transcendent uh experience that sort of like you know catapults you in some meaningful way out of whatever and towards whatever right you know right so that's actually that was where i wanted to go next this i could see what i what i I mean, that film, for me, that film wasn't just, oh, interesting, these are my takeaways. It was like, you know, what happened? <laughs> what happened? I just, you know, it was like, but so one, one thing I saw, one thing that you've talked about is death as a potent reminder of the imminent beauty of each moment that we easily skip over by just going, it'll be there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And another thing we've talked about is actually self-destruction and so that that art of exhibition was one there was another one too which we can Mm -hmm. perhaps loop back to but the third thing you're touching on now is actually what people sometimes call ego death you know which is some kind of ritual that allows you to symbolically cause your local your sense of localization to die Mm. so you have the hope of some feeling of connection with something bigger yeah which is that those are i mean those are generally spoken of in three very different conversations yeah right they don't they don't don't often get morphed together yeah so you've just shifted into a a third conversation which is like our longing to transcend ourselves yeah i mean i think ego death is the ultimate sort of um it's not ego. De- for, for me, it's ego reorienta- re- reorientation. Mm. I, would, I would think because I, I think the ego is, um, I don't know, I'm, useful, healthy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's it's a. I don't know that we can uh, extra extricate ourselves from. No, it. I think it's the, these. The, the, what you're pointing to is not permanent. It's like it's having enough of a temporary ego death to to be able to grok what's on what's beyond me. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast, you might enjoy dropping by radicalbrilliance.com. We've got an ebook for you which explains the radical brilliance cycle, the way the cycle gets blocked, and the practices that best open up the cycle again. We also have five days of gifts and insights for you, delivered every day by email and video, which go much more deeply into the phases of the cycle, the ways that the cycle can become a kind of diagnosis of blocked brilliance, and a way to accurately find the right practice for each person.
In addition, you'll receive a video about the single most important practice that we have determined affects brilliance. And another video about everyone's favorite topic, brilliant sex. It's all totally free, prepared for you as our guest. Please come to RadicalBrilliance.com. Register on the homepage and you'll receive the ebook right away. Then you'll be guided through the five days of videos to take you deeper into your own radical brilliance. Yeah, so it reminds me, you know, John Gray told me about this tribe in Africa where they have this, this uh, initiation, this rite of passage, where they will put a stick, uh, for a young boy of 14, they'll put a stick through, through at the chest level from one lip, nipple to the other, put, st- put ropes on the, on, the, um, on the stick and haul the boy up. So he's dangled now in the air in this, in this high teepee, you know, but huge teepee. He's dangled in the air. And if he can be like that for eight hours without calling out for his mother in pain, he's a man. Right. If he calls out, then he needs another year. Right. Right. Yeah. And so the whole point is actually to be able to bear pain mm-hmm. without expressing it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that's a powerful rite of passage that they do do there. But what you're pointing to is is uh, that we don't have we don't have any any rite of passage. We don't have any any way to any symbol. Well, we way. have we have collegiate hazing. Yeah, we right. have getting jumped if you go to jail, or you know having to choose a car in in prison, and uh, gang initiations. And then you have uh, what do you mean choose a car when you're in prison? Uh, choose a gang oh, or gang, choose yeah. a choose a race, basically. Yeah. Sadly, yeah, um, and then. Uh, yeah, it's it's um yeah, it's kind of sad. We we really don't have because we put a premium on such a premium on comfort and such a mm. sort of everything is to obviate the pain. So mm. why would we have something that intentionally is creating pain for anybody, you know? Yeah. Um especially putting kids through it. Mm. Like you know, you'd you'd be sued beyond yeah. there'd be no waiver that you could uh, no. have anyone sign. Right. <laughs> and um yeah. So yeah, you have to declare sort of declare sort of like religious freedom or whatever and and if you wanted to create some some things but yeah we don't have that um and and i think that that was something that always bothered me as a kid is sort of my own my own sense of my own comfort something about it didn't feel like a proper initiation into life right and so i i tried to manufacture my own hardships yeah so you said we do everything to obviate the pain and yet actually you know people who who shift either temporary or permanently into, into more expanded, more meaningful, more nourishing states, very often pain was their vehicle. Mm-hmm. So like Eckhart Tolle is you know, very popular as a kind of whatever, awakened, enlightened teacher. I mean, he went through the same with Byron Katie, who's mm-hmm. celebrated in the same way, went through incredible just depth of despair. And actually many people, it's, it's often people who attempt suicide and fail which means they bottomed out as much as you possibly could, who find this uh, joy in, in imminence on the other mm-hmm. side. So our attempts collectively to obviate pain is actually, uh, it, it cuts us off from what we most long for. Yeah, I think so. I think that that exhilaration of pain is um, essentially describes what falling in love is. I mean, it's like this, mm. it's almost the same feeling except with like a different 
just different connotations. It's the same, same sort of hormones, like you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that uh, that feeling of risk, and 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 being alive. Um, yeah, that pleasure pain. You know, the, the pleasure pain brain is difficult to sort of um, parse apart because they. We do things for pain that give us pleasure, and things for pleasure that give us pain. And, yeah. You know, yeah. So you're just kind of lucky, actually, if you <laughs> if you pass through the right things in the right sequence. All our instincts are wired wrong, maybe. Yeah, I think though, any any time you think of a, a a crucible of of any variety, or a coming of age of any variety, or a learning period of any, the only like I tell my daughter, getting it wrong is how you learn to get it right. Losing is learning. Mm. Um, failure is, is is your eventual success. Like, and it's hard to understand that. But that that pain it's painful not to know the right answer. It's painful to be said, "What? Well, how do you do this?" And you do it, and they're like, "No, that's not right." And to fail, and you feel like you're not you're not good enough. And those are all painful things. But that's how we learn. The only way we learn is pain. Um, you know, and those those micro pains, they're just, but there's like tiny little, the way you build muscle is, is by ripping it, you know, mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. yeah. Seems like having a daughter and being a father has been massive for you. It's been really great, yeah, it it, it makes me feel, it's like, it's like someone going to Oxford or something. Yeah, right, exactly. It's like, no, yeah. it's like, it's like, yeah. well, I'm a father now, so. Uh, for me, it was Cambridge, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. 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 yeah, but it's like, yeah, no, you have, you have. You have access to a whole other well of yourself that mm. you have to tap into mm. um, in order to be a decent parent. Yeah. Um, that that in and of itself is like this rite of passage and this like, okay, like we're doing this. Like I'm I'm doing this. You know, like mm. um, I've dealt with you know I'm, I've I've dealt with this now. I've dealt with this. I've had to reach in and tap reservoirs of energy I did not think I had access to, to and to put on a happy face, to be able to smile, to act like a child when I don't fucking want to, to, to be able to, um, to be there and be present with someone. That's the biggest lesson for me. It's like, how much can you be present with someone all day and not just sort of like, uh, turn them into a, uh, Sort of a business partner. Yeah, it's right. like okay, I got. It. We're on the right. same. We're on. We're because we don't. You know, there's no material exchange. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no material exchange, but also there's there's. It's not that there's no shorthand, but you're explaining things to someone, and you don't, and like, and they're delicate, you know, and 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 like this whole like, response in response to like delicate parenting, and people are like, ah, oh, you got to throw your kids in there and like let them like. It's just the pendulum going both ways. There's this like they're both they're both irrelevant basically. The the thing that's relevant is love, like everything with love. You know what I mean? Mm. And to try that's the real challenge. I think that's that's the crucible of parenthood. How often can you be coming from a place of love? Go. Yeah. And now <laughs> and it's just like wow because it's a real challenge. It's beautiful. And lately, um, you're doing what I also did, which is it's just. You and Eartha. When when you're on with Eartha, it's most. It's a lot of the time. It's just the two of you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, actually, which is actually, I had the same. I mean, I had quite a big gap where it was just me and the kids, and then my new, my current wife, Shamily, came in. But you know, it's, she wasn't their biological mother. Yeah. So, she throws an incredible spotlight onto what resources you've got and what resources you have to quickly develop. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Love Academy. 
Yeah, you know? for yeah. sure. And you for gotta, sure. You get a badge. It's like I'm yeah. a dad. It's it's yeah. There was a my and my ego. Like the the other day, these we were doing music video, and this, we had a kid come in, and he was playing a role, and the kid was really shy, um, and um, and didn't really want to get in front of the camera. And the parents were trying to. Um, it was a. It was a. It was a guy and his boyfriend, and they're trying to get him to to do the the part, you know, and like, hey, it's fun to get on the stage. And he wasn't doing it. Didn't want to, and um, you know. To 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 walk into a scene like that where the parents are starting to stress out because the boy's not doing what he was like paid to go to paid to do, mm. and they're like, ah, oh, sorry, he's sometimes you know like or whatever. <laughs> and you walk in as a parent, you're like. It's cool. I got this. <laughs> like I know this. I know this. Right. You know, and it's so nice to feel like you know how to interact with one of the most raw. Like we're most we're at our most human raw state in that child like form. Yeah. And to be able to interact with that and communicate with the raw version of our humanity is a real like beautiful thing to learn. You know. So this film that you've made, yeah. Person A, that's coming out. How? What? How has? How did parenting? affect the the film because the film's about you right right so it's, not, it's not like a historical fiction you know it's, it's, it's about you well yeah so my lack of parenting in the beginning when I was uh, uh, yeah. touring a lot affects yeah. the film yeah and then my sort of embrace of uh, more consistent parenting and basically stopping touring um, was plays sort of the second the second you know the second part, you know, mm. of that, of that conundrum of like, you know, working a lot and not being around and, you know, and then the relationship breaking up in, in, in large part, thanks to that, like, you know, that amount of work and, and not being around. And, um, and then, you know, it's sort of this obvious, um, this obvious sort of redemption, mm. um, that we all, have before us when we're parents like to what degree are we going to just assume um that they'll understand to what degree do we actually are we actually missing out on their lives mm. on our deathbed which experience would we rather have had more of mm. can we pre-retroactively mm. you know assert that choice mm. um you know i think about that a lot like what would i rather do right now write an amazing song or hang out with Eartha right and sometimes and it's a toss a up yeah. how amazing is the song yeah. is the song really amazing right. but now it's like this this sort of toss up where the nine times out of ten being there for her and with her it's not just for her it's mm. so that me like so that I suck up the most amazing experiences mm. I can on earth mm. and some of the most amazing experiences we can have are you know with children um, because they're so fucking raw and they can teach us so much and to be able to again interact in a meaningful way with these raw life forms yeah. and, and then help them in the process it's beautiful well the opposite applies too you know that like you could ask which, 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 write an incredible song that touches a lot of people or play a game with her which would I rather have but you could also ask which would she in the bigger picture which would she rather have you know, which, would she rather have a father who played that game or would she actually like to have a father who has a mission, who 
touches a lot of lives. Sure, she likes both. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. likes going around being like, my my pop is famous. Mm-hmm. She's like, you could do that. Uh, oh no, look him up. He's famous. She likes this whole fame thing, <laughs> but she likes it um, for for really sort of basic reasons. Like, oh, you have, you have. Oh, you have a you have a broadcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's like really fundamental. She's interested in it. Like, oh wow. So, yeah. so this so this song is gonna go out to people, and she'll be like, erase that. You know, like like I'd be like, is this a f- photo okay to share? Mm-hmm. And it's the same premises. You know, social media in this obviously is like turning everyone into this their own rock star mm-hmm. and their own cinema is now not just in their head, but now it's like in this public right. square. Yeah. And um, for better, for worse, a lot for worse, I think, um, with regard to like how able we are to tailor our presentations, you know, drift further and further away from the whole point of presenting yourself in the first place, which is to present yourself, Mm. (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, And your amazing, porous human ideas, as opposed to the best version of yourself, because obviously if we're all doing the best version of ourselves, like you experience a, hom- a homogenizing because the best version of ourselves that we think is is this sort of median self. They're like, well, the, the median character is like this and that's the person that, that you know, we expect. Even within our little niches, like yeah. our super sidebar, like hipster niche still has a median. Like, like you know, it's like you still want to basically look like this. It's like, well, all the like the crust punks like are in a, like they don't, they're in a uniform. <laughs> like they're in an actual uniform. Like, they don't know they're in a uniform, but they're, like, highly regimented uniform, super <laughs> repressive fascist right. dress code yeah. of these, like, right. Cut it. like yeah. avant punk rock, like, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, listen, I haven't seen the whole film yet. I'm really looking forward to. I'm thirsty to. I'm guessing by the time we release this podcast, the film will be available. I hope is it, so, yeah. Is there anything else you would like me to ask you about the film or talk about before we wrap up? Um, probably. Mm. <laughs> it's just so fresh for me. I, I'm, you know, I'm so mm. thick into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I think what was most interesting to me about making the movie was the ending. Mm. How do you end a movie that's about death without dying yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, because life is not um, the absence of death. Life is the correspondence with death. Mm. So. There is no ending to the fucking movie, mm-hmm. except what point at my traject like what point in my process am I right. in my journey with death? Okay. Um, I'm not dead, so I don't have the physical. I'm not physically dead yet. Um, so where where am I at? And how do you convey that in a story? Yeah, like with um, a half finished sentence. Yeah, and like how is <laughs> and how does that and how will it make people have an experience? Like yeah, how do you how do you bring the camera into your brain and into your heart and um, and the reality is that there's some limitations to media. And so the end, um, which I won't give away, but like there, there's, there needs to be some things that are admitted. 
mm. about storytelling mm. and media and also expectations. We expect a story to have three parts, mm. to have an ending. Mm. Um, and if they don't have an ending, it was, in, it was on purpose it didn't have an ending. Mm. Everything is su super intentional. Um, but I think that intention, this is actually something I'd like to talk about. Mm. I think intention by definition is limitation. Yeah. As soon as you, you, you set an intention, you immediately limit the scope of possibilities. Of course, yeah. Because now you have this one intention. Mm -hmm. And that's why I always find myself sort of like reticent to make, to create intentions. Because I really want to be open to the moment as each moment comes. Not sort of play God and create this intention beforehand, yada, yada. I like broad intentions. Like, I intend to make the whole world love. I like impossible intentions. Like, the whole world is going to love. Dance and, with me. Yeah, and they're all going to access, you know, whatever right. part of their brains create, like, the love and camaraderie. And, yeah, yeah. we're all going to dance together. Uh, I want and the whole damn world to come yeah. dance with me. Yeah, yeah. And those are good. I like those. But, yeah. Um, but also, uh, jangling was... was, uh, was you know. Yeah, all of those were these like intention of like this this come dance with me, yeah. emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Yeah, which is you know going to be the the cry. It's the final frontier of slavery. You know, is is this is this this PR man in our head that has completely organized us and um, and emancipating ourselves from that to really discover um, self love, who we really fucking. Once you experience that self love, like. Mm. Who you are is just like it's it's it doesn't matter. Mm. Like who am who are you? Like this Kmart commercial for the kids. Like, are you a nerd? Are you a cool girl? Mm. Are you a like a whatever? It's this commercial I just saw, and they show these three the same girl in like five different dresses for yeah. Kmart. Right. And then in the end, of course, it's like you're you. Mm. And then it's like her and like some variation of all of them or whatever. <laughs> but. You're right. still, it's still, you're still selling this idea of like, who am I? This preoccupation with like, how do I express? Where's my meaning? And then you just start loving yourself and you don't need fucking, guess what? You actually don't need it. And you don't need intention. <laughs> you don't even need intention. Right. All of these things are like these add-ons to be able to deal with this sick jalopy vehicle mm. um, and keep it on the road. Which we don't, exactly. So we don't, that's ah, great. When we don't always love that, but it's actually what other people will love. You know, like, like you've got a fairly kind of, by objective standards, a fairly chaotic environment here, right? And I've been, I've been sleeping here in the, in the studio, so you were gone. So I've just kind of wandered from, you know, wander through, and I kind of go, I kind of go, oh, Alex, Alex, Alex. You know, it's like, it's actually, it actually it's what makes other people love us and appreciate us mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. our sloppiness more right. than our conformity. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Indeed. Cool, man. I'm really, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the film and I'm really looking cool. forward to sharing this film with yeah. other people. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing this. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, thanks for, um, thanks for talking. Yeah, I love, I love these kind of conversations. Thanks so much. Yeah. Wow, so that was a conversation with Alex Ebert, which was actually filmed in his studio in New Orleans, a converted post office. So one of the reasons I like to interview Alex so much on this podcast is he is 
really married to innovation, married to doing things differently than the way they are usually done, which is really refreshing and beautiful and brilliant. So I mentioned in the introduction that when he makes music, his music is uses motifs and um, styles that, are, that you've not heard before. He was the first person to add the hey, ho, to music. You know, it was, uh, I think, in... Um, in home and then it got popularized by um who was that band who does the hey and the ho you remember no anyway um got popularized later um everything he does he seeks to he seeks to step beyond the norm and i want to ask you to reflect a little bit this would be a good conversation to have with a friend in a coffee shop you know what are the ways that you get trapped or caught in the norm the normal way of doing things and what are your ways of stepping beyond the, the norm? That's what Mickey Agrawal calls um, being a disruptor. You heard that in a previous podcast. Being a disruptor, disrupting the usual way of doing things. And that is the essence of creativity. That's the essence of being brilliant. Catch you next time.